Uh, thank you. First and foremost, um, thank you to Mr. Davis, uh, Josh McDaniels, Dave, Patrick Graham for bringing me here and giving me this opportunity. Uh, it's never easy when you lose a, a teammate, a co-worker, uh, somebody that you're close with. Um, we take that very seriously. But this is about the players, this is about the Raiders, and this is about this organization. And we're tired of losing. It's not a good feeling. We're a production-based business. We're about competition, being competitive, play with an edge and a swag, and a certain confidence that we walk out that damn tunnel that everybody watching TV can see it, and a product on the field is something we're proud of. It's Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center. All right, here we go. Cofield and company. Crazy days for the Raiders. We'll be getting into it the entire show today as we head into the Barry Odom radio show right here on ESPN Las Vegas and 100.9 FM. Devon is back at the Finley Toyota Studios. You heard it. We're out at the Battleborn Broadcast Center. Justin Watkins will be in for the middle hour of the show. And I want you to think about this because Justin has a really good question. We've got a lot of fans, Damon, in this market who are not Raiders fans. Now, I think a big part of that is that they have an existing team. Equally as big, maybe, is the fact that the last two coaches may have rubbed people the wrong way. So there were folks who might be ready to move over to the Raiders from their team, and they were like, eh, Cruden. Patriots West, nah, I don't like it. I don't like it. So I want the audience to think about that. You can tweet at us, at Steve Cofield. You can tweet at Damon underscore the boss. You can tweet at Cofield and Company at ESPN Las Vegas. And you can hit the text line 69187, code word ESPN. On the way back, check that. Coming into the show. This is the beginning of the show, not the middle of the show. But coming into the show... That was the voice of Antonio Pierce, who did play the game, was a pretty productive player in the National Football League, was brought into the organization under pretty interesting circumstances, which I'll build on that a little later. He's the interim coach. So the news last night, as Damon put it today, Mick Ziegler have been relieved of their duties. The short note that was released on social media, if I'm correct, because I read through it quickly, I thought it was interesting, and I hope I have this right. I think Mark Davis simply referred to the initial guys who were let go as Josh and Dave. No last names, just Josh and Dave. Um, To suggest that I guess he had a decent relationship with them. Mick Lombardi was relieved of his duties at some point. That came out this morning. That's another thing we will build on, is the timing of this, the delivery of the news. We're going to try to hunt down Adam Hill today uh, in less than 10 minutes. Pressure's on. Because I do want to talk about what often appears to be dysfunction and weird timing 
even when the Raiders make a monumental move, like changing the direction of the organization. So there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to discuss. We will look ahead later in the show. I think people kind of rush to who the next coach is going to be. So before we get to that, some things to consider. What is this organization? Why did this regime just fail as determined by Mark Davis? What is flawed about the organization that had Gruden succeeding to a certain level, but the drafts were terrible? Come on, there's a lot of things to diagnose that have to be cleaned up in the Raiders organization before we all start worrying about if it's going to be Jim Harbaugh or Rich Basacci is coming back or John Gruden could return or it's a hotshot offensive coordinator. There's a lot of problems that led up to this. And, you know, most of them were the fault of Josh and Dave. But there are some things with the organization that are messed up. But right out of the gates, I'll ask you, were you surprised that eight games into the season on a short week, the Raiders decided to pull the plug on Mick Ziegler. Absolutely, I was surprised. I mean, especially the timing. For us locally, it was 10 o'clock at night with the press release that seemed like not too much. I mean, I was in the middle of watching Halloween, and it's, oh, this is shocking that they're going to release them in the middle of the week. Keep in mind that Josh McDaniels had a press conference earlier in the day. Right. And I'm not saying that he would have just said, he's firing me tonight at 10 o'clock if he knew. But I don't think he does that press conference if he knows, yeah, guys, in a couple of hours, I'm out of here. So I think that everyone involved, there was a bit of some shock, at, at least, you know, ex- all except Mark, Mark Davis. I'll give you my quick laundry list of the problems with Josh and Dave. And then we'll get Adam Hill on. I think he's still probably out at the facility. I'll go through this really quickly. Um and we can judge all of these. Dumping Derek Carr without a real plan in place. And the bridge, I guess that was the plan, was Jimmy G, who's never healthy. Uh, mistake number two. Communication issues with lots of the players on the team. Josh McDaniels having trouble getting along with multiple dudes like Darren Waller. And I still don't understand the confusion with Hunter Renfro. The... Effery, as we'll call it. I think a texter sent in yesterday that, that the show was <laughs> was full of effery and he enjoyed it. But the screwing around with your number two offensive player in Josh Jacobs. I don't think that makes for cohesion with the entire team, and especially with Josh Jacobs. One of the cardinal sins, here's another mistake. One of the cardinal sins in the National Football League is a coach believing, and especially a coach without a winning record and without a ton of equity, believing that he can be the head coach and the offensive coordinator slash play caller on game day. It doesn't work 99.9% of the time. Mistakes by the combo of Josh and Dave going cheap on the offensive line, the defensive line outside of Max Crosby, the defensive backfield. It never really worked. And then meanwhile, they spent $11 million, and I think the guy's going to be a productive player, whether he's here or somewhere else. Jacoby Myers is worth $11 million, but is this a team that needed an $11 million wide receiver when they already had Renfro, and they already had Devontae Adams making top money? And obviously, bad signs in the draft, a couple of productive picks, but 
the handwriting was on the wall. You can't screw up a pick like Tyree Wilson when there were usable players who could have come in and helped them this year. And you get a project defensive lineman. I don't know, man. That's a short list. And I think there's a laundry list. It looked like Mark Davis has been frustrated for a long time with McDaniels and the on the field performance and the fans getting in his face. And maybe you fans are the ones who are the impetus to make the quick move here. Just eight games into the season in the middle of a season on a short week. We'll get into all of it. It's Cofield and company here, a new regime coming at some point and a very interesting season to be unraveled here. The rest of the way the Raiders have moved on from Josh McDaniels and GM Dave Ziegler. The Las Vegas Raiders here. Just 25 games into a six-year contract worth somewhere near $60 million. Josh McDaniels has been canned as the Las Vegas Raiders head football coach. And alongside of him, sent packing his GM, Dave Dolph Ziegler. Yep. Now, hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Yeah, just kicking things off here on a Wednesday. Cofield and Company, Battleborn Broadcast Center. Justin Watkins, ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider coming up in a couple of minutes. Uh, Adam Hill is with us as we go behind the patch. I'm sure he's been out at the facility most of the day. I'll start out by saying, I like your boy, Pat McAfee, but let's tone down the enthusiasm here. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Josh McDaniels and the work of Dave Ziegler, but I don't think we uh, we all need to be fired up. Or is this a time to kind of be mean and, and stick it to Josh McDaniels? Maybe he's right. Well... You know, McAfee still holds the Colts thing against uh, McDaniel's. So, I mean, I think there's a, you know, there's a history there. Yeah. Okay. Like my my thing with Rex Ryan all the time. Um, yeah. All right. Well, tell me, tell me how surprised you were uh, last night that the firing of uh, Mick Ziegler comes down. Uh, the timing, for sure. I mean, I, I don't think there's any question that the the timing is surprising. I mean, uh, the bye week is still a few weeks away, but that's usually when you do something like this. You you almost never see it done after a Monday night game with a Sunday game on tap, a short week, uh, and to make wholesale changes like this, which includes you know your play caller on offense and your offensive coordinator. Um, so much work to do between now and your next game. Uh, it, it's pretty surprising that it happened the way it did. And, and I can also tell you there's people in the building that were surprised too because uh, as soon as I got the news, of course, I reached out to you know some people, including some staffers, some players, and um, their response was, I don't know what you're talking about. And then a couple minutes later, we're like, oh, just saw. That's crazy. Uh, so players didn't know, uh, which is kind of wild, but it tells you that this came together very quickly, and I, I don't think it was a – um, you know, a decision that was made just on, you know, like a whim or anything like that, but it's been developing for a while. But the decision was made, I think, uh, very swiftly and, you know, obviously put out at 10 o'clock at night, which was a little bit bizarre. I don't know if you've put together a, a list, and it could be a pretty long list of McDaniels and Ziegler mistakes, but do you have a list in mind of why they were <laughs> fired? What were the biggest things that led to the firing? It's funny. Uh, myself and Sam Gorgeous came up with. Uh, we we're we we're asked to, by our our editors to do top five reasons McDaniel's is fired and top five reasons Ziggler is fired. Uh, so I just published it at the Review Journal. Go check that out. But uh, yeah, I think you know it's it's almost. I think with the Ziggler, there's like five that almost just come to mind right away uh, that you can put in almost any order. I mean, the obviously the handling of the Derek Carr situation uh, was not good. I mean, we you know I I thought they should have gotten rid of Carr as soon as they came in. They didn't. Um, and then it, and they kind of botched it the way that it was handled all the way. Uh, bringing in Chandler Jones, who let's ignore what has happened off the field, which there's probably warning signs of that you knew from before and should have seen that coming. But that was just a, a, 
a weird signing anyway. I mean, there's a guy on the downside of his career uh, that that's who you would bring in to try to pair with Max Crosby. Didn't make much sense, especially with where the roster was. Like that was that was strange. Um, signing Hunter Renfro when you didn't plan on using him uh, to a big extension was very strange as well. Um, and I think settling on Jimmy Garoppolo when you knew that he was injured. I mean, if you remember, we had to sit here in the media room for a full day because they called a press conference announcing a signing and then realized he was hurt and had to redo the contract, essentially. Um, that was not, it was not the right choice. It was not handled well. They kind of knew he was hurt already. Their fallback plan when Tom Brady didn't work out was Jimmy Garoppolo, and it probably wasn't the right move either. And um, that was there. And then I, I will just say there, the book is still out on Tyree Wilson for sure. I mean, look, he's shown some signs of improvement. He's a very talented player. But do you have time to draft a developmental guy who's already hurt when, you know, you have to win to try to keep your job? Like, it doesn't make much sense. So um, I think those five right off the top for, for Ziggler are easy. Uh, and then if you talk about McDaniels, like some of the really, really embarrassing losses – um, I just kind of grouped them all as one, but losing to the Cardinals when you're up 20 to nothing, uh, losing to the Rams when they just signed Baker Mayfield two days earlier, losing to the Bears with Tyson Bajan in an embarrassing fashion, um, you know, losing to the Colts with Jeff Saturday in his first game, like those were all just awful. And I think that contributed to him losing the locker room, which he clearly did at some point, and that was part of why he, you know, was asked to move on as well. Um, kicking a field goal and you're down eight, bizarre. Uh, not being able to convert a third down or in the red zone when you're an offensive, you know, guru, um, that was definitely up high on the list. Like, there's just a lot of things that were done uh, that that weren't good, and you know, I think we saw all those kind of come to fruition, and all those are reasons that they're gone. But you shouldn't have that long of lists in a year and a half. Like, it just shouldn't happen, no. and, and it did. They accomplished a lot uh, the wrong way yeah. in 25 games. Uh, one more thing for both of them, because I, I pair them together on a lot of the moves. Sure, and you may not agree with this because I know how you feel about running backs, but. Um, I, I thought from the get-go, spending the money and the capital on Devontae Adams was odd. So they rolled out the carpet for Devontae Adams, gave up a one and two, and then paid him upwards of $30 million. And then with Josh Jacobs, they're like, nah. I thought the way they treated Josh Jacobs is also a way to lose a locker room. Yeah, I think it's certainly possible uh, the way that Josh Jacobs is respected in that locker room, and I, I don't think they, um, I don't think they factored that in uh, to some of their decision making. Uh, I, you know. I'm I'm of the opinion that they probably kind of well here's the thing they made a mistake and God I should update my list now not picking up the option the fifth year option on Josh Jacobs was a mistake if there was any chance that you're going to keep him around um, you have to do that and they didn't and uh, now they're kind of paying the price for it uh, by you know having the what happened this off season happen and um, yeah going going back and looking at it like that that's that was where they started the mishandling but once you make that decision not to pick up the option you have to make the decision to move on and they didn't. And they tried to keep him around with the franchise tag, which they knew he was going to be happy about. So um, that was a mess. That was that was mishandled. But um, I think it should have been the opposite of you. I think they should have moved on from him, not uh, not eventually kept him and paid too much money for him. Uh, Rap Sheet, Ian Rappaport, wrote a very uh, thin story in terms of content, uh, t- t- touting that, hey, here are the reasons. You, we just named like seven that were more relevant. And we know that locally because we cover the team. You cover the team especially hard. Uh, but he had reported, uh, I think last night or this morning on SI, that there was a Davis meeting with McDaniels after the Monday night win over the Packers, and that didn't go well. There was a, a lot of anger from Mark Davis. And then I think the other interesting one, and please confirm if these things happen, the other one was we had heard about the all-team meeting that everything was open to discuss with the coaches and the players. When I saw that, I was like, man, I don't. that's a desperation move. That can go the wrong way real badly. 
Yeah, uh, and I'm you know I'm certainly you know I've I've kind of reached around and tried to figure out what exactly happened in that meeting. I I, I can tell you I've had some off the record meetings with some people in the organization that um, they didn't seem to treat like they were off the record. They were they were like still buttoned up and nervous and and scared, which I I don't think is how you do uh, off the record and open book uh, discussions, uh, which was always very bizarre to me. So I, I don't know where the trust level was. And I know, look, I know there's players frustrated. There's no question about it. We've seen Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, and others express that frustration both publicly and privately and. Um, I, I don't think there, it's any mystery that the players are, um, I would say, relieved uh, that this has happened now. For for the most part, not you know, it's, they're not a monolith. They all have their own opinions and their own thoughts. But um, I think the general feeling is okay. We can move on now, and we're, you know, we're excited about the future. And I, I don't think, I don't think it's all. Look, I've talked to some players that say they they blame it more on Dave. Some they blame it more on Josh. But they are a package deal, as you kind of referenced and. Um, I think to be away from that regime, I think there's a lot of a lot of relief in the locker room right now. That's a start. Adam Hill is with us. He's covering the McDaniel Ziegler firing by the uh, Raiders after eight games. They they lose in embarrassing fashion again this week. My other issue, and I mentioned this a couple minutes ago, there are organizational issues that continue to arise. And last night, the delivery of the news—that's a problem. We find out, I guess, yeah. apparently at around seven o'clock, McDaniel's. Um, well, he got they got fired late afternoon. This is according to rap sheet. Then around seven, McDaniel starts delivering the news to his coaches. Then we don't know who the interim coach is. Then it looks like via social media, a lot of the people in the organization find out it's going to be Antonio Pierce. This kind of stuff needs to stop happening. I guess there was some confusion today about. Players meetings, coaches meeting, you know, 6 a.m., 8.45. This is a problem that is organization-wide going back to well before a lot of the people who are currently working were there. Yeah, look, I, you know you know about frustrations dealing, dealing with some of their communication uh, issues for sure. Um, but, I, you know, I think a lot of it is, as you point out, it's organizationally built and there's, um, you know, uh, there's a priority on secrecy over, you know, proper communication. And then there's, you know, a lot of people that just don't get the message. I, I, I said, look, I, I will tell you right now that I definitely reached out to players who I was breaking the news to like that happened. Oh boy. So, so I, I, that's not good. And again, if, if it happened late Tuesday and, you know, players just weren't in the building and they plan to tell Wednesday morning, that's all fine. But you can't allow them to find out on social media or getting texted by reporters that, that their coach is fired. It just doesn't make any sense. And it it does you know, speak to a larger issue. Now, I will say that you know, we have a story coming up pretty soon here in the RJ. I think, uh, I think Ed's going to write it. Um, that, you know, Mark Davis has taken a lot of this on himself and saying, look, I have allowed this to happen. I've allowed it to get to this point. I need to fix it. And that's part of the what went into his decision uh, to do this right now. But he understands that there's a lot of organizational problems that need to be fixed before they can really move forward. And I think part of it, not, this is not, it's it's very, very small part. I'm just going to mention this, that I think he has seen that, hey, you can, even though it's a different league and a different setup and all those things, like you can have success if you put the right people in place uh, like he has in the WNBA. And I, I think he believes now, like if he puts more attention and focus and, um, and effort into making sure the right people are in place here with the Raiders, then they could have some success. And that's that's ultimately what he wants. Yeah, I'll give you another small thing. Whoever's still around who's leaking all the stuff to Breer, that has to stop because I think that's been a problem <laughs> over the years. Um, is it true going back that, you know, the frustration started pretty early here that 
Uh, Devontae Adams and his people actually did talk to the Raiders about being moved again four weeks ago. They requested, hey, can you look into moving us? Well, I think it was more of a conversation of what is the plan going forward? Like, are, do you, like if you want to rebuild, that's fine. And that's totally, you know, probably within the realm of what you should be thinking about. But why would we be a part of that? Why do you want us to be a part of a rebuild that doesn't make any sense to pay a wide receiver all that money to rebuild? Like, it just doesn't make sense. So I don't think it was a, hey, trade us. It was more of a, let's try to get on the same page here before it gets too late and and just see what the direction of this organization is going to be. And, um, you know, apparently they got some answers that they didn't hate and were willing to, you know, to stick around and not, you know, make a big scene and try to force a trade before the deadline. So, I mean, now you're stuck. Not what you can do now, uh, but apparently he did hear enough of what he wanted to hear in that conversation, and uh, that did happen a few weeks ago, but nothing really more came out of it. Adam, you're always a fan of tanking to try to get that big quarterback. For me, it's from a fair sure. perspective of why would you do that? But if the Raiders were, let's say, 1-7 at this point, and they said to Mark, hey, we want Caleb Williams, that's our master plan, would they still have jobs right now? I don't know. I mean, I think you would have needed to do it before. Like To me, I've, I've said all along – the biggest mistake, if you want to go with the number one mistake that this this regime made, was walking into this organization and trying to win right away. Like, it wasn't ready to do that. The roster wasn't there. The pieces weren't in place. And I don't know why they did that. And it set them back two years. So I th- And I think once you do that, the reason that you can't do it the way that they did it was because if you now come to them or you come to them a year later and say, hey, we need to rebuild. We need to take a step back before we can take a step forward. My, an- my answer as, a, as an owner would be, why on earth didn't you do that last year? Like, why did you waste a year of trying to you know, throw assets at trying to win right away if you needed to rebuild? How did you not understand the situation better that you came into? So that would have been my answer if they would have tried to say, hey, let us tank so we can try to get a quarterback now. Well, I would have said, you're a year late. This is not the direction that you wanted to go in, so it's too late for that. So that, that's how I would have responded. Um, and I don't know if, if that's something that they pitched or that's something that they uh, tried to put forward and say, hey, look, let's go a different direction here. But um, I would have been frustrated if that's the answer I got. You know, I skipped over another reason why I believe McDaniels uh, is out, and uh, Ziegler went with him. So uh, I don't mean recently, but he went along with the decision. I don't think you can be a head coach and a coordinator at the same time. I think that was a, that's a cardinal sin in the NFL, and Josh McDaniels doing that. Um, why wasn't Mick Lombardi – calling the plays in the past, and why is he not the offensive coordinator now? He was the offensive coordinator. Give him a shot. Yeah, I mean, I think they're, that they're just all too, way too tied in together. Uh, they're all, mm-hmm. you know, they're all of like mine and all that. So I, I don't think that would have necessarily worked or been the right move as much as I, I kind of like Mick. I kind of hoped, hoped that would happen a little bit because uh, I, I wanted to see what he would do with his own, uh, his own ability to call plays and run his own offense, but um, it's not to be, so, so he's out. But, um yeah, I mean, I think you're right to some degree, although I would say, you know, so far, I think it's working for, like, Shane Steichen. Like, I mean, I think there are guys that can do it, um, but it does make it more difficult. And over the long, you know, or long haul, uh, when you have off seasons and, you know, you're trying to help build a roster and, and make personnel decisions and all these other things, um, I think it is. it does become a lot on your plate to try to do all of it and to try to call plays on a week-to-week basis. Adam Hill is with us. All right, last couple of questions. Uh, Rhino, one of our uh, top listeners, Derek, was asking, should Champ Kelly be the GM moving forward? And do you have a desired head coach in the future? Do you have a name you like? 
Um, yeah, there's a few, um, and I, I am you know I put a list out earlier today. Um, obviously, the uh, name at the top of the list for a lot of people is going to be Jim Harbaugh. Uh, it makes sense that now with all the intense scrutiny and uh, everything that's coming down on him in college, if he does want to go back to the NFL, this has always been a place uh, where it has been considered. Um, and if he does come in, I imagine it would be Ed Dodds, his guy from the Colts, uh, who is very sought after by a lot of different teams. I imagine it would be a package deal between them. Uh, that would come in. I really like uh, Adam Peters from the from the 49ers. I think he's absolutely above and beyond ready to be a GM uh, at this level. Like that's a guy I would absolutely look at. But I do think Champ Kelly is going to be considered. I don't think Antonio Pierce is probably going to be considered long term for the head coaching job unless there's some dramatic, remarkable turnaround. Um, he just doesn't have that much experience. I think this is a huge opportunity for him to learn. I love his passion, his excitement, his enthusiasm. Like. He, he brings it. He's the kind of guy that, you know, the proverbial, you want to run through the wall when you hear him speak, like, it's very different uh, than Josh McDaniel. I think uh, I heard from a couple of players today that are really, really excited to try to play for Antonio Pierce, but I think it would, be, it would take a lot for him to get that job. But I think Champ Kelly's in a different position. I think um, he absolutely could be a candidate for this job uh, long term. Uh, if he comes in and stabilizes things and, and builds the right relationships in the building, uh, that's definitely a possibility. He's, he's more than ready uh, for that job. Um, unlike Antonio Pierce, who's not very experienced, uh, Champ Kelly really, really is. So I, I think he'll absolutely be in the mix. I'll mention one last thing uh, that needs to change immediately, and this is a Patriots West thing, a Belichick thing. Um, treat the main media people with more respect because we haven't really talked about this on the air. But the announcing at 8.39, 10 o'clock at night, what media availability is, what your chance to go out to the facility and do your stories and coverage, and that includes TV people, doing that that late at night, these people have families. They have other jobs. Some of them like to do radio and would like to start doing radio again. That, that better change because that, that, is, that is unprofessional and it's very inconsiderate. Yeah, I don't foresee it. <laughs> we'll see. I, I mean, I think, look, there's still a lot of people in the organization in place, and um, whoever that was, we'll find out. I think Antonio Pierce also, I think another factor, like, I, I do believe, and I could be wrong, I'm just saying, and I think, I think a big reason for doing that is to try to not allow people to come out. Like, the more you wait to tell them when it is, the less people are going to show up. And I, I think it's pretty clear a lot of the players don't want the media in the locker room. So uh, I think the, the more they can hide it and keep people from showing up, that have you know families and obligations and things like that that can't schedule a whole day to wait around for press availability. Um, I think that that's part of what they're doing. They're just trying to keep people out of there, and it's kind of been their strategy. And uh, we'll see if they continue it. But you're right. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. It's not how other teams operate. But um, I don't know that it'll change right away. Well, then don't complain that locals don't go to the games and the stadium gets uh, overrun by uh, outside the market fans. Cause these things go hand in hand, Adam, we appreciate sure. it. We know you're very busy. Thanks for carving out some time for us. See you buddy. Sounds good. There he is. Adam Hill. Make sure you check out all his work. He gave you a laundry list of the stories that are going up that are up LVRJ.com. Now back to Cofield and company at the Battleborn broadcast center on ESPN, Las Vegas. The day after Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler examining it throughout the show, we'll get uh, another media angle on this from Arash, our L.A., Vegas, Hawaii insider. That'll be in the 5 o'clock hour. In less than 10 minutes, Caleb Herring, who played football in this town, is now one of the voices of the UNLV Rebels. Um, We'll get him to talk about AOC and the quarterback situation and 
Jimmy G. Again, that's coming up in less than 10 minutes. Um, do we need to apologize? It's not our fault, but I kind of feel partially responsible. I'll just say, sorry, America. Uh, the news is in. There will be no flex in a couple of weeks, Damon, with the Jets and the Raiders on snuff. I am sorry that you're going to have to witness this. I guess the storylines are plentiful, but uh, boy, oh boy, Jets and Raiders, Week 10, Sunday Night Football. Waiting all day. I mean, I can't <laughs> wait, and it's two weeks away. I know this has maybe it has nothing to do with it because this is NBC and they they don't they're not the host city or the host network for the Super Bowl. But maybe it's hey, it's the Super Bowl city. Let's just go out there just cause. No, I think it's a New York thing. I mean, the Raiders have oh, a the good Raiders, brand, yeah. And I, I I'm not going to suggest this one. That like the the people at NBC are like, wait, we're not getting a trip to Vegas. F that. We're going to Vegas. Come hell or high water. <laughs> no, it's a New York thing. And no matter how bad, I mean, seriously, the. The Jets-Giants game this last weekend was one of the most unwatchable football games in years. It was horrific. And because just because it's the New York market, they'll go back to the well regardless, which is shameful. Shameful. It's ugliness. Uh, giveaway time. 364-1100. 364-1100. December 10th and 11th, Toby Keith is in town. Dolby Live. At Park MGM. Dolby Live at Park MGM. December 10th and 11th. You can grab your tickets for Toby Keith. Ticketmaster.com. Damon's got two tickets right now. Call in. Call her 7364-1100. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, Caleb is up with us here on a Wednesday, uh, one of our football insiders and, of course, uh, one of the voices of the UNLV Rebels. Caleb, how are you doing, buddy? I am doing uh, fantastic today, Steve. I'm doing awesome. fantastic. Still employed, so I'm fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, same can't be said about Mick Ziegler as uh, the GM and the coach go bye-bye for the Raiders. Is the timing of this something you saw coming? It is and it isn't for two reasons. Um, I guess the reasons are the same. Uh, it's it's something that you saw coming because the trade deadline has come and gone. And it was obvious to everybody that something needed to be done for the Raiders to get a direction, whether it was blow it all up, burn it all down, and start the rebuild process, or uh, acquire some pieces to make this team a team that could compete and still crawl the way back into the playoffs. Those are two opposite directions, but before the trade deadline or at the trade deadline, you would have expected some sort of move to get some clarity as to what that direction was. The fact that the Raiders did basically nothing at the trade deadline uh, kind of was the nail in the coffin for this administration, if you will, um, because as the owner, you're looking like, hey, what are we doing? What's the plan here? What's, what's the goal? Um, they didn't do anything significant I, by all accounts. So the decision has been made. Okay, you guys, if you haven't shown me a plan, then to me, you don't have one. And I can't have somebody running my organization, my franchise, that doesn't have a vision or a clear plan. And then on top of that, doesn't have the support of the locker room. I mean, Devontae Adams has all but begged to be removed. Josh Jacobs doesn't want to be there because he's not being paid fairly. Those are two best offensive players. Your best defensive player is Max Crosby. You can't really build a team around defensive ends. So 
what what's the plan? They don't have one, so they're gone. Now that also makes the timing strange because now you essentially have a, a the remainder of a season for whoever is the next guy to have no options to work with. There's really no there's no trade opportunities during the season. And I've always been one that's opposed to firing coaches or anybody uh, in the middle of the season because you basically waste a year. Now you have to you know, canvas people and, and get everything started for the next season. So now the rest of the year for your fans, for your players that are currently there, is essentially wasted. And Devontae Adams, who's really on the back end of his prime as one of the best receivers in the NFL, is now wasting away in Las Vegas because the franchise couldn't figure it out. So uh, the timing makes perfect sense, but then it makes no sense at the same time. And I hope that that made sense. But um, I, it, it's a strange place to do it, but I, I think – the fans have been had enough, and then uh, the ownership, obviously, Mark Davis has seen enough as well, and he wants to go in a different direction. And obviously the new coaching staff we're stepping in wants to go in a completely different direction on the field as well. Caleb, I've got to ask you, you being a former player, because Steve and Adam, they mentioned a bunch of reasons why this firing should have happened and why it happened. But for me, one of the reasons is they haven't scored 20 points on the offensive, on the offensive end. How much of a factor do you think that is for you being hired as a coach? This is your bread and butter, and the team hasn't scored 20 points. Or on the opposite side, if he was a defensive coach and you're getting 30 points put up on you every time out, how much of a factor do you think that the coach just wasn't able to execute his bread and butter was a factor? I think that's a big deal because I think that was a part of the excitement around bringing him in as a coach with his you know, offensive resume, as his, his uh, reputation as a brilliant offensive mind, and to come in and not – use some of the tools that we project, project, projected that would be valuable tools offensively. And you look at the team that he took over, I mean, outside of bringing Devontae Adams in last year, uh, he had Darren Waller on his team, Hunter Renfro, capable uh, receivers uh, or receiving core, and a great tight end, one of the top five tight ends at least uh, at the time when McDaniels took over. Uh, you have Josh Jacobs, who led the league in rushing last season. Uh, these are pieces and tools that you had at your disposal to make an explosive high-powered offense. The fact that you're unable to get it done, and for a year and a half now, we've listened to um, Josh McDaniels himself saying that he needs more offensive production uh, for his team and those kinds of things in the press. But it's like, well, what are you doing about it? And it seems like, and this is the optics from the outside, that rather than enhancing the offense, it seems like they've done things to sabotage themselves, whether it's trading Darren Waddle or, whether it's uh, the, the offseason with Josh Jacobs and Hunter Renfro just completely being useless now um, on the roster, those kind of things, not targeting Devontae Adams uh, significantly uh, enough. Those kinds of things, it's like, well, your offensive skill set is not even being put on the play. If, if, if that's what you are, you haven't shown me that. So uh, really, what is your value in that, in that situation? And it's, it's a results-oriented business, and you could say that maybe some things behind closed doors are – not all Josh McDaniels' fault, that's fine. But in a results-oriented business, if you don't produce the results, you get the can. And that's just how it's been since the NFL became a thing. Caleb Herring is with us here on Cofield & Company. So I'd like to think that Mark Davis, unlike most owners who come off as arrogant and disrespect the fans, actually was affected by so many fans bombarding him with complaints and that it was time to move on from Josh McDaniels. One of the more recent incidents was at the Aces Championship Parade, and a guy walks up to uh, Mark Davis outside the arena in Toshiba Plaza and has a Just Fire Joss sign, and and then MD actually engaged with people. Um, I think he's, he's unique as an owner. Like He really cares 
about his organization. He really cares about the fans. But the other thing is he's got to look inward and make some changes himself and also demand a lot more of the organization. And this is all lead into a very goofy story. Caleb, have you seen the fortune cookie story? I have not. And I'm, okay. I'm scared. Okay. I will give it to the audience. Um, the Raiders have been so dysfunctional and so weird going back years and years and years. And I mean, the weird, you know, rises to the tragic level of Henry Ruggs, right? Some of the guys they've drafted and then John Gruden and I, there's a whole laundry list. Someone put out a story last night. Uh, it was really more of a rumor mill thing that here's what happened on Halloween. Josh McDaniels came in in the morning dressed as Mark Davis. They eventually went to dinner uh, and Mark Davis was cool. He laughed at the, the costume. Oh, you know, Josh is dressed like Mark Davis. Um, they eventually went to dinner at PF Chang's. Um, eventually towards the end of the meal, Josh McDaniels got a fortune cookie and inside the fortune said, Josh, you're fired. Now that is ridiculous. That is clearly a fable that did not happen. But I swear to you, there were people on social media who were like, yep, Raiders. Like, that's not good. If you can write such a tall tale and there are people out there, mostly from outside the market, away from the Raiders who are like, sounds like the Raiders. What? (laughs) You separate the wheat from the chaff. Those that really bought that and thought that was true to the source, I think you realize that they're kind of exposed. It's fake news, right, going forward. (laughs) But I will say this. How much of a boss move, of a power move, would it be to say that not only could you just reserve PF chains and like do all that and treat them or whatever, but to get a fortune cookie made, custom made, to deliver that kind of news, that's kind of a boss move if you were able to do it. Like in a fictional world, if that actually was the way you could fire somebody, that would be Come kind on. of like unexpected and, and shocking, right? Come on, why are you laughing? I didn't think about it from that from that perspective, Caleb. That actually is pretty baller. If it's just well, I mean, <laughs> he is the king of P.F. Chang's. We didn't do a random restaurant. I mean, that's that is his you know, legendarily his place to go hang out. But Steve, they have to yeah. make the paper, they have to put it inside the cookie. Everett had to be that's put in there. There's a lot I don't I don't know how you customize fortune. Like like think about that statement. Like I I made your fortunes for you. I, that's kind of some omnipotence right there. Like, are you you're you're dealing with some like some future telling stuff? Is it do do humans have the power to change fortune cookies? Like, I I I don't want to tamper with that kind of stuff. That's some mystic powers, right? Like, if if you have the power to alter a fortune cookie and change someone's fortune like that, and then on top of that, the coordination to make sure the right fortune cookie gets delivered to the right person. Could you imagine being some other guy named Josh at PF Chang and cracking that thing open and being like, you're fired. And like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? How do I get fired at PF Chang? Right? Yeah. That's the uh, power. You think with all those abilities to orchestrate a plan for the fortune cookie that you could put together a good football organization. So yeah, um, easier, said than, <laughs> easier said than done in the NFL. Caleb Herring is with us. All right. I'm going to throw this out there bluntly. Cause you, uh, you're hearing this from around the conference. Um, UNLV loses to Fresno state. I'll ask you, are you encouraged or do you go with some who say, Hey, they showed they're a fraud. They couldn't beat a team with a 70% Mikey Keene. Uh, I'd say BS. I call BS completely on that. I think, I think uh, UNLV had Fresno State down 17-7. Uh, I think a 70% Mikey Keene is probably still, based on the numbers and based on what he's done, he's probably still uh, top three quarterbacks in the Mountain West. So 
So that's to say that is kind of crazy. And if you're playing, you're playing. So that's number one. Uh, Mikey King doesn't play defense, and Fresno State ranks in the top two in rush defense and pass defense. So he has nothing to do with that. Uh, Fresno State's top ten in turnover margin. We saw that on display. That's nationally, by the way. Um, so Fresno State's a real deal, regardless of Mikey King's playing. UNLV was up at half, and if not for an uncharacteristic, unrecognizable brand of football that the Rebels put together in the third quarter, the Rebels come away with that game. Mind you, the Rebels made two trips into the red zone in the fourth quarter to try to come back in that game and couldn't come away with touchdowns. Obviously, the Rebels have a high red zone efficiency rate. Part of it is because they were able to kick field goals because of the situation. They couldn't kick those field goals. The Rebels outgained Fresno State. Um, And like I said, they lost the game in the third quarter when they played an unrecognizable brand of football. That wasn't Rebel football for 15 total minutes. Um, and they still were within a possession, within a single catch from at least tying that game and, and taking it to overtime against the Rainy Mountain West champion. I don't know why that would be considered a fluke. The evidence was there. We watched it. They played equally to Fresno State or better than Fresno State for most of that game. And unfortunately, 15 minutes, uh, did them in, and it was a, a terrible 50 minutes. And, and let's be very clear about that. Um, and Fresno State capitalized like good teams do. But to say that uh, what UNLV has done together, done so far this year, um, is a fluke, and they were exposed somehow by Fresno State, um, is just asinine, in my opinion. Caleb, we got less than a minute with you, so I'll leave the preview for the coaches show. But I've got to ask. Can you kind of take a moral victory from UNLV losing out on a four-star quarterback that, hey, at least they're in the running for those big-time recruits now? Uh, there's always going to be that, that uh, grain of salt that comes with that. You're in the running, but you want to you know, score. You want to get, get them home. So um, that's part of recruiting. Uh, when you're trying to climb the ladder in the recruiting totem pole, there's going to be recruits that you miss on. There's going to be guys you offer that don't take the scholarship. Um, but the, the hope is that you've offered enough or you've evaluated enough guys to build, be able to build your roster at the end of things. And it's still very early in the recruiting game as far as next year and future seasons. Um, but I think that says a lot that you, you did, you were in the conversation and had that commitment. It got your name on the map um, in some ways in, in the recruiting business. Um, but I think you want to continue to build on that. And you miss some, but hopefully you land enough to where uh, those kind of misses don't really impact you. And, and as far as the quarterback situation goes, the way things are looking right now with UNLV, um, re-recruiting the guys you got is probably going to be priority number one, at least for the for the near future, because I think you got a good young quarterback in Jade Maiava. Caleb, we'll see you in a little bit at the Coaches Show. Thank you. All right, guys. Take care. There he is, one of the uh, hosts of the Barry Odom radio show, Caleb Herring. He does the Ted Weens UNLV pregame show. Also does great features up on the web. Like Under the Helmet, uh, this week's Under the Helmet, and we'll have it uh, out there and posted at Steve Cofield, at Caleb Herring underscore, and at UNLV All Access. is actually with the long snapper, Walker Harden. But it's a really good conversation because I think a lot of people are like, the long snapper? Well, if you think about it, Damon, uh, if they don't have an elite long snapper, then guess what? Jose Pisano uh, isn't making you know a close to a... a nation-leading amount of field goals. Uh, everything has to work on that exchange and on that kicking unit. Um, just to fill people in, the four-star quarterback that the Rebels lost out on, for now, he hasn't committed anywhere else yet, but he decommitted uh, as a kid out of Texas named Carson Gordon. And now apparently UCLA is kicking the tires. Boston College has made an offer 
So we'll see. Um, the Rebels might still be in it. We'll get more information on that. And I, I'm sure they had a laundry list of backup selections that they're moving on for the 2024 quarterback in that class.